Hey, what is up? Hello, and welcome in to another edition of Downey and Martez, a Bucks Nation podcast. Week one is in the books, and we are here with you today to preview the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting a divisional rival, the Atlanta Falcons, in week two. I am Trey Downey, and yes, this is the dynamic duo, and he's with me every single week, the one and only Lynn Martez. Lynn, hard to believe that we are already in week two of the NFL season. Think about this, Trey Downey. You have the defending Super Bowl champions here right here in Tampa Bay. Yet no one talks about the fact that this team has won nine straight games. It's the hottest team in the NFL. No one's hotter. Anyone else win that many games consecutively right now? Anyone else have a longer winning streak? No, 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 no. It's one thing to win the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. When you, you know, if you play wild card weekend, obviously you play in an extra playoff game. So you play four, but they were winning games in 2020. They haven't lost since week 12 against Kansas City. We need to be talking about, again, the hottest team in the NFL, not just the reigning, defending Super Bowl champions, but also the hottest team in the NFL right here in Tampa Bay. Oh, for sure. And I mean, this week, I expect, I think we're both expecting uh, that hotness to continue. But the next week, then we'll start to talk about, you know, a very, very intriguing game looking a little bit ahead. Hopefully the Bucks don't do that this weekend. Uh, your quick social reminders. Remember, follow Lynn on Twitter at LMart810. That's where you can find him. You can follow myself at TD Experience, and you can follow Bucks Nation on Twitter at Bucks underscore Nation and check out BucksNation.com for all of the latest and greatest on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it be iHeart, Apple, Spotify, click the subscribe or follow button. It does us a lot of good in, as far as uh, people finding out about the podcast, it popping up in their searches, that type of thing. And if you're on Apple, leave us a review as well and just uh just another quick little quick little plug uh another sb nation in the sb nation family i was on the uh the falcoholic uh podcast previewing it from that side so if you want to listen to me preview the game further you're obviously listening to it here but i was also on on uh, that podcast just want to give them a, a a quick little plug i was on their show this week but we are going to talk about the Bucks and the Falcons right now, Lynn Martez. And here, uh, my local game last week on Sunday at one o'clock was Falcons and Eagles. So I actually watched a good portion of what Atlanta did in that game or didn't do in that game. And based on the final score, uh, didn't look too good for Atlanta. But I will say this, in the early stages of that game, you and I, when we previewed the entire NFC South this season, we didn't know what Atlanta's strengths were going to be. We didn't know what the identity of the team was going to be. And we really questioned what the running game was going to look like. But I'll say this, if one thing impressed me last week, it was early on the way they were able to run the football <laughs> with, with, with Cordero, with Cordero Patterson, uh, a little, a little bit, a little bit of Mike Davis. Uh, Obviously they couldn't keep that going throughout the entire game. Their offensive line was not able to protect Matt Ryan whatsoever, but maybe 
that's the key if they're going to put up a fight against the Buccaneers is having the run game get going and keeping the Buck, the mighty Bucks offense. Off Everybody's of got a plan until Mike Tyson punches you in the face. So, but yeah, then again, you, yeah, yeah, the Bucks run defense is run the best the in the league. Okay, great. You want to, we want, you want, you can talk about running the football. Um, mm-hmm. You're running up against the number one team against the run in the NFL. Not only that, you could, you could have watched that game. As much as you did, I would have probably watched it a whole lot less after the first two drives. Because, yes, the Falcons did look good after their first two drives, scoring two field goals. They didn't do anything else after that. They either punted or they turned the ball over every drive after their first two drives. So uh, you can color the, the their running game any way you want to color it. A pig is still a pig. And they're going up against the number one running defense in the NFL. And I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this game is, is an easy one because it's it's a Sunday. It's the NFL, and 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 things, things happen. Game. And things happen. You know, things happen. And these two teams, I mean, granted, some of the key players are different. And, and Tom Brady beat the Falcons twice last year, and they averaged you know almost 38 points, but. A lot of the pieces are still the same, though, too. Atlanta, I think – Atlanta had a lot of turnover. I think some they said last week on the broadcast something like 25 new players. Matt Ryan even said it was almost like coming in – signing with a different team because Atlanta had so much turnover with all of their cap struggles and things like that. So Atlanta is – Granted, that's true. As different you can be from year to year, Atlanta is. No, granted, that's true. And then, listen, coaches will tell you, for the most part – Turnover-wise, when it comes to your team in the offseason, you're going to lose 25, 35, 25 to 30% of your team. This is natural. This is natural what happens. That's why getting back all 22 starters on the Bucs was such a big deal because it usually doesn't happen that way, especially after winning a Super Bowl. But my point in saying that some of the pieces are still the same is not from the Atlanta standpoint. I'm talking about from the Buccaneers standpoint for what mm-hmm. the Falcons have to do to pull the upset off. And granted, Arthur Smith is the new head coach, and they got a new defensive coordinator in Don uh, Dean Peace. It's an experienced, it's an experienced staff when it comes to defense, and they may have a few wrinkles to, uh, you know, to kind of like upset the Buccaneers. And I don't mean upset on a scoreboard, but I mean upset initially when it comes to playing against uh, the Bucks offense. But here's the thing about when it comes to the Falcons too, and you can talk about their running game, and again. I mean, if you want to run into a brick wall when it's first down and make it second down and 10 and second down and nine and call yourself bounce, go right ahead. But when they send Matt Ryan back to pass against this team, <laughs> what, what the area of the Buccaneers defense is a strength is certainly from the outside to get it to the quarterback. But we talked about it last week. We talked about that push up the middle. And guess mm-hmm. what? If that push up the middle is the same as it was last week against Dallas, Guess who's going to be waiting there for Vita Vea when he gets there? Number two, Matt Ryan. hundred percent. And they did not do a good job whatsoever of protecting him against the pass rush of Philadelphia last week. So, and maybe me looking at the running game and being impressed by it is the fact that you and I both had such low expectations for Atlanta in their running game going into the season. But at the same time, if you look at what the Cowboys did, and we talked about last week, we talked about how is that maybe the blueprint 
to have success against this Buccaneers defense moving forward this, this season. And what they did was they got the ball out of Dak Prescott's hand very quickly. That has never been Matt Ryan's MO. Nope. Obviously, obviously uh, having Dirk Cutter as your offensive coordinator, they, he liked to push the ball down the field. This is a different offense, but that was still never what Matt Ryan's strength was. Matt Ryan was getting the ball, being able to, you know, have these receivers find the soft spots and coverage, not just that, that type of thing. Not just that, his drop. His drop mm-hmm. is seven steps, bro. Yeah. You know, it's not Dak Prescott, three balls coming out to the hot read. No, that's not the offense they run. Matt Ryan's going to drop back, like I said, six, seven steps behind his offensive line and hope and hope that he can get the ball downfield quickly enough so he doesn't get sacked because he ain't moving a whole lot. They can talk about all that crap about how the offense, the Falcons offense is based around a little bit of bootlegging and all that. Come on, man. You think 36, 37-year-old Matt Ryan is going to be bootlegging against the Bucs defense? Not yeah, this isn't, this isn't the heavy play-action offense that Kyle Shanahan ran there before he got the San Francisco job. This isn't – Matt Ryan's not Ryan Tannehill, who was a former uh, college wide receiver uh, that, can, that can move around just a little bit, which I, Arthur Smith was used to in Tennessee. So – that's what I'm saying. I think that this is just, I think that the way Atlanta is constructed versus the way the Bucks are constructed, the Bucks are probably, you can say this probably for a lot of teams that the Bucks are going to face because they're so good, but even matchup wise, the Bucks are just a horrible matchup for what the Falcons do well and what they don't do well. They can't protect the quarterback on the pass rush. Look at everything that the Bucks have rushing from the edge and then up the middle. Maybe they're going to start to run the football well, but the Bucs have the best run defense in the in the league. Uh, maybe the Bucs have a little bit of weakness on outside on the outside at corner with the injuries in, in the secondary. Maybe you could pick on Jamel Dean, but who's the Falcons' second wide receiver right now? I mean, you have you have Carlton Davis, who you probably want to follow uh, Calvin Ridley on Sunday, and Carlton is getting up there as far as one of the better corners corners in the NFL. And are you going to put, are you going to expect Kyle Pitts to have a huge breakout game? Are you going to split him out wide? Russell, Russell Gage is better in the slot. I mean, is that uh, something that you take advantage of? I just don't see Atlanta being able to attack this Bucks team in the same way that Dallas was last week. And both now you and I were on, yeah, not we're with on the, record. Yeah, not with the consistency that Dallas did it. There'll be yeah. moments. There'll be moments. Pitts might have his moments. Heck, Calvin Ridley might even have his moments. Mm-hmm. But as far as the consistency that Dallas had, when it, I mean, let's uh, let's be honest. They were they were finding receivers in that secondary frequently, more times than not. And because of it, Dak had the game that he had. But there's a lot of intangibles that went along with what Dallas was able to do, including the fact, and we already discussed it, the fact that the ball came out. And there's going to be times where, you know, the Falcons are going to be chasing the chains a whole lot in this football game. And because of that, you know, you're going to line up seven guys on the defensive line, two, three guys with their hands in the ground, and you don't know which seven is coming. So. You know, that, that's, a, that's a whole other thing. And like I said before, you know, if you attack Matt Ryan through the middle of his offensive line, 
He's going to be there when you get to the pocket. 100%. Now let's, we talked about what Atlanta might be able to do against the Bucs, if anything. Let's transfer over to the Bucs and the offensive side of the ball. And I think the biggest storyline coming into this game is the fact that even after everything that happened last week, Ronald Jones is starting at running back. Bruce Arians went out in the media and said that, that Rojo is the, is the starter this week. And this is coming after he didn't start against the Cowboys and then didn't go back into the game after the fumble. Bruce said he rebounded in, in the building this week. I personally think uh, that this is going to, that the game plan might be kind of a get right game for Ronald Jones. I think we're going to see a heavy dose of Rojo early in this football game. I don't disagree. And it's a good, it's a good game to do it. You're coming off. Um, it's not a buy, but it's the closest thing in the NFL as a buy when you come back from a Thursday night game and you play in week two and you had the extra three days off. And because of that, you've had an opportunity to get your team right. And even when you look at the injury report, and we're only into Thursday, but if you look at the injury report for the week, this team is healthy. And you need to be healthy. Looks like Jordan Whitehead's going to play. Jordan Whitehead's going to play. Obviously, Sean Murphy Bunting, you know, the news came out that he's going to miss potentially three to four weeks, three to four games, depending on how they handle uh, him and, and moving forward. No real updates on, on his condition in the last couple of days from Bruce. But when it comes to, again, being healthy, physically they're healthy. Now it's a matter of being healthy mentally. And I'm talking about your running back and Ronald Jones. Um, I, I, I really disliked how he looked on the bench after the fumble. And you know, I'm hoping that between that game and now, and even moving forward to Sunday, uh, four o'clock, is that he has kind of like a, you know, a, a point in his thinking process, whether it be from the coaches, whether it be from his teammates, but along those lines where it's like, Stuff like this is going to happen. No matter how I rebound from it, I mean it's corny, it's cliche, and it sounds like a you know a Rocky movie, but it's not how many times you get knocked down; it's how many times you get up. And he's going to get knocked down. He's going to fumble again. This isn't the last fumble for 2021. You would think, you would want it to be, you would hope it would be, but let's be honest with ourselves. You know, it's not realistic. Balls get punched out, and they got punched out that night. It's a matter of how you react to it. That's the thing. It's a matter of how you react to it. And I said it last week and I'll say it again. Your reaction when you fumble is, okay, sip on some Gatorade, take your helmet off, then take a deep breath and get your butt behind the head coach and be Booby Miles. You want to win? Put Booby in. You want to win? Put Let Booby spin. That's exactly how you have to be, especially after making a mistake and wanting to get the confidence back of your teammates and your coach. Another thing I want to touch on, you mentioned uh, Sean Murphy Bunting and his injury. Uh, the Bucks signed a notable name to their practice squad this week, Pierre Desir, uh, former Indianapolis Colts and New York Jets cornerback. You and I on the radio a couple of years ago, we did uh, a segment talking about who we thought the Bucks' top targets should be in free agency. And Pierre Desir was one of those guys. Obviously, he's not the same player. There's a reason he was released from teams and is on a practice squad now. 
But I do like the signing, especially if Murphy Bunting is going to miss an extended period of time. And Bruce Arians has already talked about that this is a guy that can possibly help them. Uh, and if he picks up the playbook uh, quickly enough, this is a guy that we could see active uh, fairly soon. And you mentioned last week during the broadcast and Chris Collingsworth uh, talking about maybe the secondary isn't as deep as you would like. Adding a veteran like Desir to that, whereas I'm not expecting him to come in and be the starting outside corner like I would have two, three years ago. This is a guy that I think can help this football team. And as we keep talking about, the secondary is still very young. So having a vet in that mix, I do think helps out. It's lightning and you're trying to catch lightning in the bottom. So it mm-hmm. is. I mean, you're not, you're not taking a huge risk in doing it, number one. Number two is, ironically, you mentioned those times back then, and we were constantly, not just you, not just me, but the whole Tampa Bay media, for the most part, was constantly talking about how this young secondary needed to have a veteran presence in there. From the day Brent Grimes left. Oh, my God. I mean, and they tried. And maybe, maybe not this staff, but certainly Jason uh, Light tried bringing in TJ Ward and different guys, like you mentioned, Brent Grimes or whatever. Um, but honestly, when it comes to that defense and how those young guys in the secondary play, I mean, think about it. And Tony Whitford was a, was a rookie last year. And look how he played. He played like a veteran. He played within, you know, within a, a defense that was as good as it was. And he, again, he was a rookie that was one of the mainstays when it came to the back four as a rookie. So, you know, we, sometimes we overplay the whole need for a veteran in the room thing. I'm not saying that this isn't a good signing because, again, there's no risk. And, again, you're just trying to find lightning in the bottom. Now, uh, the last thing I want to touch on before we move on to stuff that happened around the league last week and maybe look forward to some of the other games uh, this weekend is I already mentioned that this week it's still a divisional game, but it isn't an opponent that you're expecting to face in the playoffs. Next week, they go to L.A. to face the Rams at SoFi Stadium in what I believe is a possible NFC championship preview. Is I don't think that you can because it's Tom Brady, it's a divisional game, and it's Bruce Arians, but is there – I think if the Bucs were to somehow be get upset this weekend, I think there's going to be a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking going on saying that they were looking ahead to the showdown against the Rams the next week. There's a whole lot of time um, when it comes to the actual minutes of a football game. It's 60 minutes. And I'm not saying Atlanta's not going to have their moments where they do something that, you know, can – it could give you a little bit of hope of the potential upset, but there's a whole lot of veterans on that sidelines, including the guy that takes the snaps on Sundays in in 12. And I can't see them looking past the the way this team, the way this team goes about its business when it comes to the off season getting together and how meticulous the offense is. Number 12 is when it comes to, practice i mean we watched him at practice middle of practice slam his helmet down cuss because you know a play didn't go right doing a deception whatever it was the bottom line is is, there's too much leadership on this football team 
including on the offense, to to lay an egg for 60 minutes. Again, Atlanta might have their moments where something may go right, just like they did last week, their first two drives. Again, they scored on them, and that was it. Um, I can't see the Bucs looking past them and looking at what you call potential NFC championship uh, matchup, which I don't disagree with, by the way. I think, I think the Rams might be the second best team in the, in the conference. Now let's talk about, uh, let's look around the conference. Let's look around the entire league and some of the, the storylines that came out of week one in the NFL. Uh, before we get into other things that might've caught, caught our eye, I think we should stay in the NFC South and talk about those two games because they were definitely notable. Uh, the Panthers at home, they beat Sam Darnold's former, former team in the New York Jets. They had struggles early in the red zone, but they were eventually able to pull away and secure that victory. One that if Carolina is going to equal my hopes of them possibly being a fringe playoff contender, those are the type of games that you have to win. And you even said it, Lynn, because of the way that their schedule uh, maps out towards the end, they had to get off to a hot start. So uh, big win for Carolina to start off the season. Uh, just any take from you on that before we move on to what might have been the biggest storyline out of week one in the NFL and talking about the, the Saints? Well, when it comes to Carolina, they have what other teams in the NFL would hope their running back would be like, i.e. the New York Giants want Saquon Barkley to be Christian McCaffrey, who had what 180 plus total yards, is yep. a threat running the football, catching the football. I mean, when you put the, the equity that teams have, like the New York Giants, they would hope that they would get the value like the Panthers have gotten from Christian McCaffrey, who wasn't a top 10 pick, by the way, and who came into this league and there were questions whether or not he was big enough to play the way he plays. And yet that dude has it. And they talk about it. I mean, they can talk, they can talk about today, green in, green in the face, blue in the face, red in the face um, in regards to limiting his touches. Man, you know who your, your, your uh, bell cow is. You know who you're going to get the football to. You know when you got to, you know, close out a game and it's third and six and you look at the matchup where he's lined up against a linebacker, you know who you're going to get the football to. So, um, yeah, I mean, kudos to the Panthers for for utilizing their talent the way they have to, to get them to wins and to help Sam Donald with some weapons that he's never had before. All right, now let's talk about the Saints and what they did to the Green Bay Packers in Jacksonville in week one. And everybody on social media was talking about Jameis Winston and his performance. Great game from Jameis Winston. And the world knows how I feel about Jameis Winston, but it's not like he didn't have those great games here in Tampa Bay. Oh, he stop it. Tell me, I knew there was a tongue in cheek in there, dude. Go I ahead. said it's not it's not like he didn't have those great games here in Tampa Apples Bay. Apples and oranges. Apples and oranges. But what I'm saying is he's going to have to show consistency throughout the season. And obviously he's not going to do what he did last week every single week, but he's going to still, he's going to have to limit hit, limit mistakes. And I'll say this, old Jameis did show up on Sunday in Jacksonville, the roughing the passer play where he threw the interception in the end zone. I think keep it was hanging on, keep, hang, keep hanging on. I, I think it was, to, keep hanging I on to that it, raft. 
Leonardo DiCaprio, keep hanging on to that. Are you ready to crown Jameis Winston MVP after he threw for 150 yards and five touchdowns? No, come on. Keep hanging on to that raft, Leo. (laughs) By the way, there was room on that raft. Rose should have. If Rose really loved him, she would have let him I knew on. you'd have a take as far as the seat is but, uh, but uh but no, I think uh, I think that I was I was more surprised that the Packers looked as flat as they did okay. and, that the, and then that's that the fine. Saints had some success. But don't tell me you've seen these games from James before because you haven't. You have he's he's had he games was a where he's thrown. Dude. The guy ran the football. He threw the football 20 times. Come and, on, man. He threw the football 14 times and had, and had five touchdowns. That's a touchdown for every three passes. That's number one. Number two is you can talk about the big games all you want, but even in those big games, there was at least one or two mistakes. Yeah, five touchdown games. You know, he probably There was one this past Sunday. It didn't count. Don't tell me, don't tell me about stuff that doesn't count. It didn't count. That was a bo- it was a bogus It doesn't penalty. matter. It doesn't matter. But you're matter. saying that in, in those big games, the mistakes were still there. There was still a huge mistake. It didn't that count. Changed the game. It didn't count. Twenty four to twenty four to ten. It didn't count. It didn't but I'm count. telling you, twenty four to ten versus thirty one to three okay, is but a it didn't huge count. Difference. Bad call. Good call. Whatever. It didn't count. Okay. It no, didn't I'm with count. you. All right. But you can't say he played completely mistake free because that was a a glaring mistake it was a bad throw he shouldn't have thrown that football and he had a ton of throws where okay. he was great he i may said have, he had a he, great he game may have, may have not he, but he's gonna have to prove he may, that he, can be he, he may have not wanted to throw that football he may he may have made a mistake throwing that football but don't tell me he didn't play mistake free because you know what the stat she shows he played mistake free and not only that but this is a different game when it comes to the big games this dude was tucking the ball away and running Looking at looking downfield, seeing everyone covered and everyone having their back turned, not realizing that he's in the backfield, six, seven yards down the field, running, getting first downs. He also had the check downs working down with, with uh, Kamara. I talked about McCaffrey in Carolina. Same thing in New Orleans. James has never had that. Donald never had that in New York, and James has never had that in Tampa Bay. And when it comes to Kamara, again, that is a safety valve. Anytime he wants to just throw the football and get the football out of his hands, he can just throw it to that guy. Here in Tampa Bay, we were praying for him to just throw it out of the sidelines. Here in, in, in New Orleans, in Louisiana, he actually can pick up yards as opposed to just getting an incomplete and moving on to the next play. It's not the same. It wasn't the same. The big game wasn't the same as it was in Jacksonville against the Packers. I agree with you. The more surprising thing not so much. I mean, yeah, five touchdowns, 14 passes. That's surprising. But the stinker that the Packers put up, because they didn't even put up a fight. And I'm talking about oh. I'm talking about every facet of the game. People, nobody can nobody could have gotten back on that bus in Jacksonville if you were a Packer and said, Oh, I mean, we lost, but I did okay. No, nobody, not a not single one soul. Guy. Not a single soul. Maybe the trainer who taped somebody up. That's about it. No, I'm with you. That that was uh, that was a complete stinker, and uh, they're going to have to turn things around in a hurry. It's not like the rest of that division played uh, particularly well. You've got uh, Minnesota losing in overtime to Cincinnati. You've got what the Bears did against the Rams on Sunday night, and Matt Nagy 
if he continues to start Andy Dalton, I don't see how he makes it through the season. And then you've got Detroit, which miraculously almost came back against the San Francisco 49ers. But Green Bay, we can't be a complete prisoner of the moment of week one. Like I said, I think I personally think for a lot of what we saw from it, from New Orleans was fool's gold. So I can't go on the other side and say that I expect Green Bay to be horrible now as well, if that's my take on New Orleans. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go moving forward. A lot of people expected because of what happened in the offseason with Aaron Rodgers for them to kind of be galvanized and them to really take that last dance mentality and make one last run at things. But maybe it had a bigger impact on some of those guys that Aaron isn't as close with uh, than we thought. So it's going to be interesting to watch them moving forward. And if any of those teams in that division can uh, step up and take advantage of a slow start from the Green Bay Packers, they obviously didn't do it in week one. Uh, Any other things uh, stand out to you from week one in the NFL? The one thing I want to mention is the Washington football team and them losing Ryan Fitzpatrick for an extended period of time. They lost that game to the Chargers. That's, I mean, the Chargers, I think, are going to be a very good football team. But we're going to see Taylor Heineke performed performed well uh, last year in the playoffs. Is he, this is this is his chance. That, I mean, obviously, people are going to, with the Ron Rivera connection, are going to say that they should bring in Cam Newton. But it looks like they're going to give the reins to Heineke for now. And with the way Dallas looked in week one and a loss, there might be more, and the way Philadelphia looked at, uh, against Atlanta, the NFC East might be a little bit more uh, competitive than we all thought. And then uh, maybe I'll give myself a little bit of pat on the back, but I didn't think, I didn't expect to see Arizona do what they did to Tennessee. Arizona looked absolutely phenomenal. I thought they would be a playoff team, but I also thought Tennessee was a really good playoff team. And I typically don't like West Coast teams going East for one o'clock games, but those two teams that game almost looked like how I expected bucks and Cowboys to look as far as the gap in between those two football teams, Arizona looked phenomenal. Tennessee did not look like a team that can challenge Kansas city, Buffalo, and uh, the Browns in the AFC. Yeah. You can pat yourself on the back because there's plenty of times where where throughout this season, I'm going to have my opportunities to to knock you down a a few pegs uh, because of some of the things you said. Throughout the throughout our podcast, it, it, it's definitely going to come back on you to haunt you. Uh, I'm, surpri- sure. I'm surprised you didn't go go with Tyrod Taylor because usually usually that's your crutch when it comes to quarterback play in the NFL, and that's your boy. They played Jacksonville. Okay, just I mean, hey, win is a win, dude. You look, look good. You look yeah. good. Good job. Okay, good, good job, Tyrod. I gave you a little ammunition. Don't get crazy. Um, when it comes to Week One, what scares me going into Week Two. <laughs> Uh, if I were a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'd have some serious concerns about my secondary because it got blown up against the uh, Las Vegas Vegas Raiders and Derek Carr for over 400 yards on Monday night. And Sunday night, this Sunday night, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder because you go up against arguably the best offense in the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs with the weapons that they have. And I know, you know, people will, will talk about the best offenses and, and so on and so forth. But when you start when you start putting together arguably the best quarterback, arguably the best tight end, and the top three wide receiver in the NFL, 
I'd say that's probably <laughs> probably the top offense in the NFL. But that's again, that's that's uh that's a conversation for another podcast. Uh, but again, when it comes to being you know a Ravens fan, I have some real serious concerns about my secondary going into week two and the potential of going 0 and 2 in the AFC North, especially after the way Pittsburgh looked in, in Buffalo and oh. the fact that I mean it, the Browns may have lost on Sunday, but they didn't look bad. They just ran up against, again, you know, arguably the best offense in the NFL. And the Bengals won, won too. Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that that's a team that they're going to have to worry about long term. But the Bengals started off with a win over a team that we think can possibly be a playoff team in the NFC and the Minnesota Vikings. Just quickly looking at the, the week two schedule, uh, a lot more divisional games. The Bucks and the Falcons play. So obviously I'm going to have my eye on the Saints and the Panthers. The Saints coming to Carolina. Can Carolina continue a hot start or will the Saints continue and will we see more of what we saw in week one and you mentioned the Steelers and how good they looked I said I expect the wheels to fall off for the Steelers uh this year and they they looked all the part of how they led the AFC for the majority of the season last year and they welcome the Raiders into Pittsburgh this week the Raiders coming off of the high of the first game that they were able to play in front of a crowd at that new stadium a short week Going to the East Coast for a one o'clock game, that's a game that you'd expect Pittsburgh to win. But at the same time, I said I expect the Raiders to surprise some people and possibly be in the playoffs this year. This could be a game that we look back at the end of the season and talking about tiebreakers and things like that as far as as far as things go uh, for a playoff team. So those are two of the games that I'm going to have my eye on as well. And then Cowboys and Chargers, too. Uh, the Chargers, can they keep things going? And what do the Cowboys look like after they almost upset the Bucks in week one? Yeah, I was holding on to that Pittsburgh take you had in regards to the wheels falling off there. That was that was a, one of my receipts. I got I got many of them, but that was one of them. But I'll bring up my own receipts. Don't you don't, don't you worry about receipts. I got them. Okay. I got okay. them. I got okay. them. Um next, I mean, this coming week, I mentioned, you know, the matchup for Sunday night. That's obviously, you know, what people are going to be leaning towards when it comes to the best game of the week, Kansas City and Baltimore, just because of, you know, their, their past history. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Lamar Jackson has only, I believe, only eight losses in his NFL career as far as a starting quarterback. Four of them, or three of them, are against the Kansas City Chiefs. He's never beaten the Chiefs. And as um, I mentioned earlier, when it came to the Raiders and Vegas and what they were able to do offensively against that team uh i don't see lamar getting a win this sunday uh, unless somehow they're able to control the football and keep it away from from patrick mahomes but the intriguing game for me is one that's taking place uh southeast of us in miami where the bills and the dolphins go at it and yeah the dolphins squeaked out a win in, in my in uh, new england on sunday Divisional win, you take them all, you take, no matter how you get them, you take them, okay? Yep. Late late turnover, fumble recovery, boom, win the football game. Uh, there were times where Miami's defense pretty much, you know, cliche, bend, didn't break. They didn't give up a whole lot of uh, touchdowns when the, the Patriots got into the red zone. But I'm curious to see how the Bills rebound from what you mentioned the Steelers were able to do. That was a home game for Buffalo, dude. And you know, the way they played last year, the way they dismantled teams 
in Orchard Park, you'd have thought they, you know, continue that little trend that they had. And having a full crowd coming off. Yeah, the absolutely. Season. Absolutely. And, but they, they lost and they didn't look good losing either. Um, no. And their struggles are the same. I, I, I said it even when we talked well about the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen's their running game. In the same way Lamar Jackson is now Baltimore's, uh, Josh Allen has been and will continue to be the Bills' running game. And that's dangerous. He had some issues with accuracy, too. And that was the biggest gripe on him coming out of, coming out of college. And that, that does concern me a little bit when Allen has issues with, his, with accuracy throwing the ball. It's just, listen, we've watched enough to know, you know, we, you mentioned Cam Newton earlier. There was a time where Cam Newton, you know, third year in the league, fourth year in the league was just, you know, Superman people into the end zone, whether it be a cornerback, a safety, a linebacker, just running over people. That eventually gets old and wears on a man's body. I, I mean, yeah. Josh Allen's 23, 24 years old, but eventually that's going to, that's going to get old and it's going to take a toll. But as far as Sunday is concerned, I'm, I'm curious to see how Miami moves forward from the win against New England and unleash Tua, tongue of our lower, unleash this dude, man. I've watched, I watched highlights. I got into a kind of like a, what do you call it? Kind of like a, 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 a rabbit a, hole. A rabbit, a rabbit hole. hole. Thank yeah. you very much. A rabbit hole when it came to watching Tua play in college in Alabama. And I'm watching him throw the ball 35, 40 yards down the field. And I'm like, where is that dude? Because you watch him play on Sunday, and granted, you take what the defense gives you, but they've got to let this guy throw the football. Unleash Completely him, agree. Unleash that dude. They, talk, they, they treat him like he, like he can't throw the ball 20 yards. Unleash that dude. Let him go. And if, you know, we could talk about last year when it came to not knowing the playbook. Well, self-admission, he didn't know it. But you can't tell me he doesn't know it now. Let that dude go. Yeah, and they, a lot of people thought that the problem was was Chan Gailey as well. So I mean, I agree with you. If you want him to blossom into the quarterback we saw in college. You got to have a game plan that's at least somewhat similar to what his strengths were when he was in college. You can't game plan him as a game manager and expect him to be a great quarterback. You just can't. You know what's uh, but scary? I, you know what's scary? Is I honestly, I mean, I, I, and I've watched, I've watched a good number of Dolphins games, even when two was started. I honestly don't know that I've ever seen him throw a pass farther than the one that he threw for the game-winning touchdown in the national championship game. And I'm not being and I'm not being funny. I'm being dead serious. Look at if you look at Miami last season, it was it was clear that they were more successful when Ryan Fitzpatrick uh was, was playing for that football team. But at the same time, if you look at what they did with Ryan Fitzpatrick, they actually let him throw the football down the field. So you can't completely put it on Tua to say, oh, you can't outperform Ryan Fitzpatrick when the game plan just looks completely different. They got to, they got to open up that playbook a little bit. If they're going to, if they're going to be successful, you can't, you you can't find out if you have a franchise quarterback, whether or not you want to move on from him. If you don't give him every opportunity to succeed. And, you know, unlike, unlike the giants who are still trying to figure out Daniel Jones is the guy at Miami, they have, a good number of pieces, including an offensive line that protects him fairly well. Unleash that man. Trust him. To, and then 
if he falls on his face, then you found out you got to move on and, you know, move on and, and either make a trade or, or draft a quarterback. But until then, uh, I mean, you got to find out if you got this guy here yet or in Miami, 305. Completely agree with you. And the whole week two slate to me has a lot more intriguing games than what we saw in week one. Uh, we'll be back with you next week, possibly uh, talking about another Buccaneers victory. I think both Lynn and I expect that. And then we'll be previewing a big time game at SoFi Stadium next week, Bucks and Rams. And we'll talk about all the other storylines that happen around the NFL. Once again, follow Lynn on Twitter at Elmar810. Follow myself on Twitter at TD Experience and follow Bucks Nation at Bucks underscore Nation and check out BucksNation.com on a daily basis for the latest on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll be back next week. This has been Downey and Martez, a Bucks Nation podcast.